Last call for the XFL. Vince McMahon surprised most observers last week when he shut down the second iteration of his spring football league, the XFL. Was it related to coronavirus? Or was it a business decision made irrespective of the pandemic? On today's podcast, I talked to SBJ's football writer, Ben Fisher, who wrote a deep dive onto what went into the decision to fold the league. We are also joined by SBJ's editor-at-large, Terry Lefton, who has covered numerous spring football launches and foldings during his illustrious career. Later in the podcast, we will have a few words from our publisher and executive editor, Abe Madcor. I'm John Aran, media reporter for Sports Business Journal, and this is First Look. I'm John Aran, filling in for Bill King. I am a, the media reporter at Sports Business Journal. I'm joined today by Ben Fisher, who is our NFL writer, and Terry Lefton, who is our sponsorship, uh, actually your editor at large, right, Terry? Or are you a large editor? How should, how should I put that? No, I haven't been eating that much, despite being home all the time, so I'm just the editor at large. I want to get started on uh, our cover story for, for Monday, which you wrote, Ben, on uh, the XFL. You really sort of did a deep dive into what happened with it. And after reading it, I, my main question to you is, how much of this is sort of, is this a coronavirus-related uh, problem with the XFL, or, or was it something larger than that? Well, the bad answer is is both. Clearly, it would not have gone away this fast and this dramatically without the coronavirus. But one thing that's clear after you read the story, after I wrote, reported the story, and after you read the story, is that on a more fundamental level, Vince McMahon just reconsidered his commitment to this league. Um, you know, it's not invalid to say that the coronavirus changed a lot of people's assumptions in the last six weeks, to be sure. But he talked about putting $500 million into this in a long-term runway, and there was no, you know, caveat about force majeure. And as rough as things were on the XFL as related to the coronavirus, um, you know, all the employees were told we're in it, we're, we're staking around for 21. Um, so I guess to answer your question, yes, the coronavirus is a contributing factor, but it was far from the only thing going on here. Terry Lefton, you are probably one of the least shocked people around that, uh, that it did not come around for year two. Well, at least we won't have to worry about whether the XFL will have to play with no people in the stands, right? Um, <laughs> the spin hard sell by the XFL was that COVID killed them. Um, you know, as Ben said, it certainly didn't help. But when I look at the condition of the WWE's uh, financials, the layoffs there, and the fact that their stock, I think the 52-week high and low was like 29 and change yesterday and right oh, a little bit over 100. So Vince McMahon's personal wealth went way down. And I think that had more to do with it than COVID. I was at the very first XFL game uh, with the um, DC Defenders, who, by the way, I, I feel like I should say they were in first place when the season stopped. So I, I'm taking another championship for, uh, for the city of DC. Jeez. DC is the uh, District of Champions, Terry. I thought you knew that. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was blown away by the um, crowd was packed. You know, it, I, don't, I don't think it was an ab absolute sellout. I think there were some empty seats, but it was a young crowd. They were an engaged crowd. They were certainly a liquored up crowd, but it was an event and it seemed like a really fun event. And uh, at venue, I thought some of the TV and media productions 
really were neat. I, and I would bet you're going to see a lot of those translate into um, changes that, that come onto the, uh, the NFL broadcast as well. It's the first day, first game, day game. Uh, McMahon can whip up a crowd. We know that. And you know, most, most indicators were down, right, Ben? Yeah, yeah, definitely indicators, ratings and attendance declined over the course of the season. But, you know, they always knew that was going to come. Um, some people familiar with team business operations were projecting that, you know, sales later in the season were back up. They were they were thinking that as the season reached a crescendo, you know, they couldn't know about TV ratings, but in butts and seats were trending back up for the remainder of the season. Terry, you're right that maybe it's it's fool's fool's gold to judge a startup by true opening day. There's always a curiosity factor. But, yeah. You know, there is they did a lot of things right. I mean, what I a phrase I used a lot on the phone this week was they passed that credibility threshold. You know, the AAF, you could watch it for half an hour and realize, look, these left tackles can't block, these quarterbacks can't throw. This just is not worth my time. The XFL, by and large, with a few exceptions, was worth my time. It looked like real football. I thought that was as big a victory as anything. And as I reported the story, you know, everybody, inside and outside the league, thought they were meeting their business goals for the first year, which is why they were so disillusioned by how it went down and, and the fold-up and the bankruptcy. Well, I, I never thought the football part was that difficult because I think there's always talent out there, and there's always talent out there that doesn't get drafted or doesn't make it through the camp or just doesn't get recognized for a variety of reasons in the NFL world. Um, the only part of this that makes me happy is probably the best player to emerge was a former Devil player. Uh, P.J. Walker, who's who's definitely going to get an NFL job. Um, but once again, to me, that's not that relevant. It's where was the commitment? Uh, McMahon, as you said, was supposed to spend half a billion dollars. Do you believe he only spent $150 Because I don't even know if he got if he spent that much. I was going to say, Ben, go ahead, because you ended up with some, what I thought were some eye-popping numbers in your story. Right, right. Now, to be clear, nowhere in their bankruptcy filing does it say this is exactly how much all in Vince McMahon spent of his personal money on this. But we can get a sense of where things were um, year to date through the end of February, which gets you about three weeks, three and a half weeks into the regular season. But before coronavirus, they had um, made about 14 million in revenue and lost about 44 million. So that's 58 million in total expenditures this season. I mean, that's a lot of money and that's a lot of losses and a lot of red ink. And the coronavirus uh, made that worse when they had to cancel the game. But, you know, let's say that's what you spent this year. Then you think of like startup costs, you're still generously speaking, topping out around 100 million, just guessing, get a little bit of guesswork there for sure. Whatever it is, it's far short of the 500 million. Let's do the legacy question. <laughs> let's do the legacy of the, of, of the XFL. What innovations are going to trickle off to the uh, to the NFL? Ben, I'm going to start with you. Banking on the NFL doing anything terribly radical with its on-field product is, is usually a bad idea. They're conservative as all get out. Having said that, um, you know I think you expect to see some of the the kickoff rules come to the NFL. That was nearly universally praised as a great idea of keeping the kickoff exciting while radically reducing the chance of in injury. Um, you know, the three-point conversion was also something that was super exciting. That's probably got a longer time frame for the NFL, but you're going to have to like that, I think. And um, it's hard to say what the NFL thinks, but I like some of the timing rules, you know, running clock in certain situations uh, just keeps things moving. There's less of that dead time that is always such a bummer in the NFL. So there's, those are three things probably in descending order of likelihood. The camera on the field 
being worn by somebody is something I wish the NFL would have. The cameras are so much smaller now, it would be easy. And I, I don't know why. I mean, yeah, they have the camera on the guy wire. That's fine. But I think, you know, camera worn by a ref, uh, even camera worn, small cameras worn by players, if you want to do that, I, I, I'd like to see that. The, the, the question, I, you know, I want to pose, and I suppose it's, it's inevitable, but, uh, you know, Ben and John, uh, do we believe more than ever that spring football can ever or never work? I think it can work. I do think that if we didn't have a global pandemic and weren't sit- sitting on the rim of a global recession slash depression, there certainly would have been a year or two uh, to, to this league. Uh, I thought that it had some momentum. And um, I, I thought that, you know, that, that there was t- TV ratings were okay. Uh, game attendance was okay. And I, I think that, that it did show that something could potentially work, but you definitely need buy-in by, by the NFL and buy-in by the league, I think. Yeah, I think that's where I come down on. I, you know, I, maybe it's just wishful thinking because God, I wish there was football every Saturday and Sunday of the year. So I'm, I'm a big fan of anyone who wants to try, but um, until I have $500 million of my own, I got to depend on somebody else. And I think, you know, the, the bigger problem is the financial aspect of it. You've got to have people that are truly willing to, to, to lose a lot of money. And as we're seeing, maybe that's not enough. Maybe you need a more diversified ownership base because McMahon himself is just so exposed to the WWE problems that, you know, that, that was a problem too. So it, it's almost like this theoretical thing where like in theory, we could design on a whiteboard a spring football league that would work, but in practice, just everything's got to go just right. And then even when it does, there's a pandemic. So I don't know. I'm pessimistic, but wouldn't rule it out in a theoretical sense. Vince tried very hard to, to separate his parent company from this, but when it came down to it, they weren't separated at all. To answer my own question, I don't think a spring league works until you have NFL IP, a real NFL connection, and probably an NFL investment, even as a token. So, you know, maybe, you know, an easy way to do it would uh, uh, adopt, the, adopt the CFL. Of course, you'd have to get down and uh, you have to get out of the three down play and, I don't trust any sport that has a rouge, but that's one way through. I have a hard time believing it'll work. I've, I've covered too many that haven't worked over the years. Sorry, John. Terry, there are a bunch of uh, a potential spring leagues that are still in the offing. Which one do you think has the, the uh, most best chance for success? None, unless they have what I just said. NFL IP and an NFL investment and a real connection to the NFL. The football people will tell you there's a crying need for a developmental league more and more and more for offensive linemen in particular quarterbacks to some degree don't forget for referees yeah well anything front office everything i mean the you know the the nba's various leagues will show you you know you can develop people that way um the nfl attitudes to this point has pretty much been you know since they got out of europe it's like well we've got a minor league why do we need this now we'll see if that changes hey your point about legacy and you mentioned the front office you know i think you've got to watch that because not not bankruptcy day but a week ago today when they fired everybody I got a call just as I was quitting work from a CEO I know of a, of a up and coming sports and entertainment property who read the story that everyone was fired and said, who, who should I go talk to about hiring? They, they seemed to know what they were doing there. I would love to talk to some of the smart people at the XFL. I, I think this could work out well for some of their, their key people because no one's blaming them for this failing. No, I, I'm very interested to see where Luck and Jeffrey Pollock end up. You know they'll end up in good places. Terry Lefton mentioned the on-field camera called the Bubba Cam after right. uh, Bubba was the name of the camera operator on there. 
They, uh, they, they had the, the overhead camera, the sky cam was uh, something, something from the original uh, um, XFL. Here's a couple of things that I think uh, are gonna translate to the, uh, to the NFL, uh, both having to do with television production. And one is I thought what they did with replay review was excellent, where they trained a camera in the actual replay booth and heard the official and how the official was watching the, uh, the, the, the game and, and, and the uh, back and forth. And that relates to the, just the amount of access. I don't think you're gonna see sideline reporters interviewing coaches in the NFL anytime soon, but I do think that, that you are gonna see a whole lot more access in terms of uh, you know, allowing the reporters onto the benches, possibly interviewing, you know, injured players. Well, and, and John, you know why that'll happen? That'll happen automatically if they don't have fans in the stands because they have, they'll have to. Oh, that's, a, that's another excellent point there. Uh, I promised you two 10 minutes. We blew by it. Uh, you know how I am with deadlines, so that's, a, that's no surprise. <laughs> but Ben, an Terry, accord. thank you very much for, uh, for joining me today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, John. Thanks, Terry. First Look is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're a fan of our podcast, subscribe on your mobile device to have First Look delivered right to your phone every Monday morning. And now, a few words from Abe Madcor. There are three things I'm keeping an eye on, absolutely. Number one, I'm certainly keeping an eye on The Last Dance. So who is not watching that show? I am taping this on Friday before the weekend. Sunday night is the debut of The Last Dance. Again, I remember hearing about this years ago at a conference room at the University of Michigan with ESPN executives and Esty Portno, who represents Michael Jordan, talking about their plan to bring this documentary to life. Now it's here a couple of years later. I've heard that it was quite the process, quite the production, and quite the journey. So 10-part series looks fascinating. The reviews have been amazing. So that's number one. Number two, staying with basketball. Really pretty fascinated by the NBA's deal with Microsoft. They announced it late last week. Microsoft is making a big play, of course, in sports. They'll be on the main stage this coming weekend with the NFL draft, where their technology will certainly be put to the test. Adam Silver and Microsoft executives are coming together on a new direct-to-consumer platform. They want customized highlights, a very personalized experience. Even during a pandemic, Silver thought this deal was so important to push it through and to keep it moving forward. As he said, quote, time is of the essence here, end quote. He has said with fans potentially not being able to be at the live event and spectatorless games, this direct-to-consumer Microsoft personalized platform could be a game changer for them. So Microsoft doing some pretty interesting things in the space that you're going to want to keep an eye on. Well, the third thing I'm thinking of is the third episode of our CAA World Congress comes to you. It's this Wednesday. It'll be from 11.45 to around 3 o'clock. Come in for the whole thing. Come in for bits and pieces. But we've got a great program. Nine main speakers. Sarah Hirschland from the USOPC. Chris Curtin from Visa, Steve Phelps from NASCAR, Mickey Lawler from the WTA, Erica Nardini from Barstool Sports, Alan Green from Auburn University, Omar Raja from ESPN, Dr. Brian Hainline from the NCAA, and Chris Paul from the Thunder and the National Basketball Players Association president. We will then have two breakout sessions that we call our SBJ Unpacks Live. These will be live audio and video discussions, one with Mark Lev from Fenway Sports Management, who will talk about how Fenway Sports Management is working within the community and within all of New England regarding the relief and recovery efforts and how they communicate and message with the Red Sox fan base. 
Our second Unpacks Live is John Oran will speak live with NBC Sports' Jenny Storms, who will talk about with Sports on Hiatus how they continue to attract, retain, and communicate and engage with viewers and how she's planning ahead for next summer's games in Tokyo, which of course got postponed from this July. So it should be a very, very engaging and we hope valuable couple of hours. Go to worldcongressofsports.com and you can sign up and register. If you have any questions, just let me know. So those are three things I'm keeping an eye on. I hope everybody has a great week, a safe week. Stay healthy and stay connected. Thanks. For Ben Fisher, Terry Lefton, Abe Madcor, and me, John Arand, this has been First Look.